But I think the important thing for people to understand is that it never goes according to plan. And there were many moments in starting the lumberyard in Jersey City and taking over this one where I wanted to quit. And it was the people around me that didn't let me quit. It wasn't that, oh, I had everything figured out and it was smooth. It was the support that I had that kept me going to a place where it became more manageable. Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On this episode, recorded in August of 2018, we spoke with Zach Chasky, owner of Midtown Lumber. Here's what Betsy Bogarpalavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. Lumber Mart happens to be across the street from where we live, and it was our first stop when we settled in and we walked across, or my husband, I should say, walked across, I didn't go. And we met the lovely new owner, learning that the business had been there for decades and decades, but he had just taken over and everyone was as helpful as can be. And I enjoyed watching my husband come back and build shelves and thus began a lovely relationship. My name is Zach Chasky, and I own Midtown Lumber. It's 276 West 25th Street, New York, New York. And what do you do at Midtown Lumber? I do everything a small business owner does. I, uh, I help with sales, I do cutting, I help run the business. I'm a glorified babysitter. What kind of customers do you work for at Midtown Lumber? We work with a lot of small museums, big museums, contractors, mm-hmm. homeowners, art galleries that are in the neighborhood, um, schools, architects. Karate schools, we cut pieces for them to yeah? play. Yeah, that's so fun. We cut the bases for cakes. Uh-huh. We do all kinds of different stuff. And how did you end up in that business? I dropped out of ninth school in ninth grade, and I started working for my cousin. He had a construction company. And then he decided to go back to school. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Because I thought that this was, right. this was it. So when I was either 18 or 19, I walked into Midtown Lumber, and I asked for a job. And really liked it. I worked there for three years. And then... Didn't really feel like there was any room for me to grow, so I left and I became a project manager at a different construction company. And then Mike, the previous owner, approached me maybe a year, year and a half later to come back and he offered me a lot more money and a better opportunity, so I came back and I've been there ever since. And do you know how long Mike had been there before? The business has been there since 1962, so quite a while. And Mike's father started it and Paul, he was a really great guy. He passed Uh away a few years ago. Okay. Okay. What has it been like taking over a family business that's not your family? Even when Mike was the owner, I'd been running it for the past few years before he decided to stop. So initially there wasn't really a big change in like the day-to-day of owning the business. I'd done everything and I'd felt really comfortable. The only thing that made me uncomfortable is it was the first time in my life I went into debt. And that was not a comfortable feeling. And are you out of debt now? Do you mind if I ask? I'm not out of debt now, Mm -hmm. but I'm paying off the debt and I'm profitable. So it's, it's a more comfortable position. That's great. So how did you, how have you made that progress? In the debt? Well, I I purchased the business and Mm -hmm. I pay him monthly payments for the business. Mm -hmm. And it's just about being respectful and responsible with your customers and not over-promising and doing the right thing. And people come back and, you know, we are where we are because of our customers. Do you have a lot of repeat customers? Yeah. That's good. I'd say 90% of the money that we make is repeat business. So do you have relationships with those people too? Yeah, go out to dinner with them. A lot of them are close friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Do you have any big goals going forward for for the business? Well, the, the rent, I have a location in Jersey City also. Okay. Which is about three times the size. Uh-huh. and Under the same name or a different name? Under the same name. Same name. And under, it's about a third of the rent for three times the size. The thing that's really hard for, 
for us to generate a profit is the rents in New York City are extremely high for small spaces. So ideally, I'd like to get the business to a place where I could still serve all my customers the same way I am now without having the high rent of the New York City store. So that's kind of what we're trying to figure out and transition into. Is that hard at all, leaving New York since you grew up here? Or are you just ready, ready to do what makes most sense for the business? It's hard because I think what makes it, I'm ready to do what makes most sense with the business, but it's hard because I think one of our most valuable assets is our location, how convenient it is for everybody. So it's a matter of figuring out how to still provide that same convenience with a different location, hopefully at a less lesser cost for the customers. Do you have any ideas for how you're going to do that? We've been working on it, but there's no there's no real game plan yet. So it's a year and eight months into me owning the business, and we've made a lot of progress in that amount of time. Even that, like, you have to really step back to look at it to see how much progress you made, because if you just get caught in the day-to-day every day, it feels like, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, but we made a lot of progress. Yeah. Do you have any tips that you would want to give to other business owners? Business who, owners? Yeah. Like starting out? I think the, the biggest thing is you need a lot of emotional support, right? Running a business in numbers is pretty straightforward and pretty simple. What gets really difficult is your sanity, your emotions. It, it can be very lonely and very scary at times. And if you have the right support team outside of work, it makes it a lot more manageable. Do you mind if I ask what your support team looks like? Well, yeah, my parents and my wife. Um, they're all really understanding. I miss a lot of family parties. I miss a lot of dinners. I miss a lot of stuff from Midtown Lumber and you need understanding people. It'd be very difficult if they didn't understand and I was getting flack from them about not doing these things because I really don't have a choice at this point. Have you had to have any conversations with them about that? How have you presented the way that you sort of prioritize your, your business versus your social life? Well, the way I explain to them is that our whole personal life and social life is because of Midtown Lumber and because of the money it provides our family. So there's really no getting around it. And I told them at any point that you can provide that kind of money, I'll do whatever you want to do and I'll be happy to take a back seat. But right now, the only way I know how to provide the lifestyle is by going to work all the time. Right, right. How did you end up taking over Midtown Lumber and, and what, what spurred that change? So I've worked for Mike for close to 15 years and I really enjoyed it. It was kind of the first thing in my life that ever really just made sense. It was really, really simple for me and everything just made sense. I enjoyed going to work. It was the first job that I ever had that I really just enjoyed getting up in the morning for and getting up in the morning is 4.45. So it's pretty early. So <laughs> That's you got, really you impressive. Really, yeah. You got to really enjoy it. Um, yeah. But yeah, and about two years ago, Mike hurt himself. We were bringing in a wagon of material and it fell on him and he broke his leg really badly. They didn't even know if he was going to be able to walk after it, but thank God he's walking and he's doing very well. Um, and at that point, he didn't want to do the business anymore. And I had people that I'd been working with for a really long time. And I wasn't really concerned about myself because I had a lot of job opportunities. People were always asking to hire me and have me come work for them. But the other guys didn't really have anything. And I felt a responsibility towards them kind of to keep the store going. I didn't have all the money up front. So I spoke to a couple people that I really trusted. And I raised the money to buy the business, take over because the, the legal fees were outrageous. It was like $30,000 just for leases and asset purchase and everything else. So I raised that money and got a couple of great partners and we just kept it going. And did you get that money? So you said personal acquaintances, were those friends who you trusted or were they sort of business partners? Actually, they were customers that I'd been working with for the past 12 years. And they saw it as a great opportunity being that they approached me almost every day to come and work for them. So this way they actually got a chance to work. I think my biggest obstacle with taking over the business is that I'd been doing it so long that it's hard for me to kind of see outside the box and see different ways of doing things. So I really 
I like when I hire new people, I really like to hear what they have to say about the way I'm doing things because I feel like I just have tunnel vision at this point. And I'm not really focusing on the big picture all the time. It's kind of more of the immediate fires that need to be put. Hiring new people and getting feedback from customers has been really helpful. How do you how do you work to create an environment where your employees feel like they can approach you with comments? Most people would probably say that my environment's too relaxed. Um, I'm close with everybody that will works with me, you know. How other. many people work for you also? Right now, one, two, three, four, five, six. And like yesterday, Clive brought his daughter to work because she, camp was over. So she hung out all day. And today, my cousin actually works for me, Dave, and his son came by the store for a while. So we, it's really just like a family environment. It's important for me that everybody gets along and likes coming to work because I remember working jobs where I would just go home and go to sleep because I was so depressed about the situation I was in. So I try to create an environment for the employees that they'll enjoy. Yeah, that really says something that people can bring their kids and they feel okay doing that. That makes a big difference. And if it's not busy, I'll let people go home and we'll pay them. Mm -hmm. We try to do the right thing, as long as they do the right thing. There are a lot of people that don't, so you got to be really careful in that. Right. Did the second location of Midtown Lumber in Jersey City exist before you took over? No, I opened that location as I was taking over Midtown Lumber, which looking back on might have been a mistake because it's really, really stressful. Is that Um, something you would change if you could go back? Probably would have waited a little bit longer. So I took over the business in January of 2017 and I got the warehouse. I knew I was taking over for a few months and it was just a matter of the lawyers getting the contracts done. But I signed a lease on the warehouse in November of 2016 and I started getting it ready. And I think the part that I really underestimated was finding good people to work for me. So I opened that store and we had it open just like Midtown Lumber in the city and discovered that it wasn't a great location for a store. Um, Like the store in Manhattan is a really great location. People feel comfortable coming. It's easy. You could walk there, take the train. There you kind of have to drive. It's not in a great neighborhood. But yeah, I opened it and we actually closed it as a store and it's by appointment only now. And we do a lot of appointments there, but it's really hard to find the right people to run the store when I'm not there. That's what I'm struggling with the most. Um, And it's been great. I mean, monetarily, we've done a lot of work with developers in Jersey City because the area is really doing well. You know, the fact that we don't have to pay employees to be there all the time when nothing's happening makes us really competitive price-wise because our overhead's much lower. So I can beat a lot of these bigger companies like Home Depot and different ones on price because I'm not paying to run a store the whole time. I'm just there when they need me. So as someone who doesn't have you know, a PhD. Do you have any tips for people who aren't doing the full track of school? My tip would be if you are not going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, an accountant, drop out of school. (laughs) I think the price for college is outrageous. And I think for you to go and get an entry level job and be in that kind of debt is absurd. I have a lot of friends that have graduated college and the best job that they can get right now is driving for Uber. It's really hard to pay back that debt. I had a great education junior high school and elementary school. I went to Village Community School in the city. And the thing that they really taught me well was how to teach myself. So even though I dropped out of school, it wasn't that I ever stopped learning. I think I started learning when I dropped out of school. I kind of grew up with like a little bit of a privileged lifestyle where I didn't realize how the world really worked. And all my friends always had dinner and electricity. And then I started hanging out with people that didn't know where their next meal was going to come from or didn't have lights on in their house and different stuff. So it really opened my eyes to how the world really worked. But as far as college, I think that it's a waste of money. And I think that you can do anything that you want to do. You just have to be motivated and you have to read and and try to learn about things. And the best place to get experience in a job is that job. So just go and try to get it.
I think a lot of people use college as a way to figure out what they're into, you know, what they want to do with their lives. And it's, it's a lot of, it can be a lot of money to pay just for that. So yeah. how, how did you end up finding things that you were interested in and things that you were happy spending your time doing? Yeah, I always enjoyed doing things that I was really good at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always a lot more fun for me when I know what I'm doing than when I don't. I guess I just got lucky because I really just was good at this from day one. Obviously not as good at it as I am now, but it was natural. It just made sense to me. Cutting lumber made sense to me. It was very simple. There what you know, there are definitely different techniques and it could come out better or worse, but it just made sense to me. And I was always eager eager to learn and do it better. So are a lot of the guys that you work with in similar situations or have some of them, you know, gone through school? Well, my wife works for me now and she has a college degree and she would be the first one to tell you. She had so much to learn when she took over this role. Actually, probably the best part about my business right now is working with her because it's just one aspect of the business. I really don't have to worry about it. And it's really nice. How long have you and your wife been together? Four years. And you met in New York or? We met in New York, yeah. yeah. She actually lived around the corner from Midtown Lumber. Did, how did you meet? We just met in the neighborhood. We both had dogs and we were walking dogs. Dogs. Dogs will yeah. do it. <laughs> what kind so, of dog do you have? I have a part pit bull, part Rhodesian Ridgeback, and she has... She'll kill me. I don't even know what it is. It's a little Jack Russell Terrier mix some, with something. Yeah. Do the dogs get along? Very well. Good. <laughs> That's good. So. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had anyone come in and ask for something really ridiculous or think that you were... I don't know, think that they could get something from you that you just like was totally unrelated. On a daily basis, people ask for things that are just not related to what we do. But <laughs> the way I try to think of it is like, I've done this for 15 years and I know it really well. But like if I were to go buy a car, I don't know a lot of about cars. So I try to take the approach as the customer who doesn't know. And my job is there to help them. So it doesn't bother us. You know, we like educating them. And I just always try to flip the situation around where I'm the customer. and I'm asking all these crazy questions that the person that does it all the time is like, what are you talking about? So it's like any other business. There are some people that you wish just never called you or never walked in the store because it's just outrageous the things that they say or the way that they treat you. But most of the time, you your customers are, are good and... Yeah. I went out to dinner with one of my customers last night. Uh, one of my customers has a house in upstate New York that I go to sometimes. So it's... Yeah. So have you had any really gratifying experiences with customers or with the business? I think the most gratifying part of the business is... When something comes out really well and even better than you expected it to come out like when we build stuff or when we cut lumber or you know it's gratifying when a customer is just really pleased at the value that they got coming to our store and that's what we try to think about the most is you know we're obviously not the least expensive because we're not as big as these other guys but we try to give you more value than they give so we're hoping that the value we give you is worth the price versus getting little value but a better price on a new topic do you build stuff? We do build stuff. Okay, cool. We build a lot of pedestals and shelving units and different things for art galleries, for museums. Um, What's the coolest thing you've ever built? We, we built a, a built-in unit in somebody's house. Um, and we actually don't do that anymore because insurance has gotten really tricky installing. But we'll build stuff now and just not install it. But we built a built-in unit that replicated an antique piece of furniture. Was that something that you learned about as you were doing it? Like, I mean, is that something that you had experience with? Well, I had a like... friend that was a really good cabinet maker and furniture maker, and I hired him to work at the store for a while, and I just worked with him every day, and he taught me a lot of stuff. How do your, how do your customers find you, usually? 
it's turning more and more into an email business, right? So I think that eventually we will be able to get rid of our location in the city and just deliver to people. But I think we get a lot of customers from Yelp. We get a lot of customers from Google. Um, we've also been there since 1962. So I think that there's some sort of advantage from that. Word of mouth. But as far as like online presence, I think Yelp and Google are the biggest ones. Do you try to keep up with those websites in terms of responding to people who leave comments? Or? Yeah, I mean, we respond to every single comment that we get. And you find that makes a difference in customer satisfaction? Yeah, I'd say overall our customer satisfaction is pretty good. We really try to make sure the customer's happy at the end of the day, even if we're not making money. Um, that's the most important thing. Because the customer is really our boss, you know? Without yeah. the customer, we don't have a job. So we respond to every single review, whether it's good or bad. Um, and the reviews really help the business, you know? And say, without those, we would have a lot less. We pop up a lot quicker because I think in New York City, we have more reviews in Yelp than any other business. Do you ask people to leave reviews? Yeah, yeah. we'll ask sometimes. You know, and we don't say, leave us a good review, just leave us a review. You know, if you had a good experience, if you had a bad experience. With the bad reviews, we definitely follow up personally so that we could figure out what we did wrong so we can make sure it doesn't happen to somebody else or even that same person if they choose to come back. Do you do any social media or anything like that? We have or? a Facebook page and stuff. I'm not really into that. I cut lumber. I'm not a computer person, but, you know, my wife is taking that over and she's redoing the website right now and kind of creating a marketing campaign. So, Zach, could you tell me some of the big companies that you've done work for with Midtown Lumber? Sure. We've done work with Museum of Modern Art, Leslie Lohman Gallery, down in Soho, Uniqlo, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, Kate Spade. Those are just some of the, the bigger monsters. That Do you have any little monsters that you've done work for? Lots of little <laughs> monsters. Um, some of the best projects are from people that own small companies because we get to be really creative and help them with what they're doing. Um, we've done work with some really big developers as well that are developing things in Jersey City and that worked out for us financially just because of the relationships we've had with some of these big developers. And although we're not best on price, the developers will come to us because we're fractionally more expensive, but our service is really, really good. And, you know, if we tell you we're going to be there at 10 o'clock, we're going to be there at 930. And these other people will show up three days later and we make it a point to just not over-promise, we over-deliver. You mentioned already that you are looking, that you have expanded into Jersey City and that you're looking to sort of be based there officially. Do you have other plans sort of as, as a five-year plan or a 10-year plan? Yeah, I, I don't know that I could put years on it because it seems to, every time I do that, it always takes a lot longer than I anticipated. Yeah. Really nothing goes smoothly or the way that you lay it out on paper and I'm understanding that, so I kind of stay away from giving myself time. I give myself timelines for little tasks because otherwise they never get done. But as far as big things, I'm really flexible with how it's going to work because things are evolving every day. And if I get really rigid in one thing, I'm going to miss a whole new opportunity. But uh, within the next five to 10 years, I'd like to get Midtown Lumber running itself by itself a little more so that I don't have to be so hands-on because there are a few other businesses that I'd like to start. And... Definitely within the next five years, I'm looking to purchase a warehouse. So at least I could build equity and my rent payments are going towards myself versus giving it to somebody else. Do you, do you have any specific plans for how to get it running on its own a little bit more? It's just, I think it's really just about finding the right people. And we have a good team right now and it's just really about teaching them and getting them comfortable with what they're doing so that they can be confident in making decisions on their own and know the right decision to make for the different situations. Because it's, it's, a, it's a unique business and it's not... There's not ever a situation that repeats itself. It's always different. We're cutting lumber to millions of different sizes, if you think about it. And, you know, 
it's wood, so it's not perfect. So you need to know what to look for in the piece of wood and you need to know a lot of different things. But yeah, I think it's just about building the right team and, and adding pieces to that team as you go and not rushing it and really just taking your time. Because I've noticed when I've hired people and I've just rushed through the hiring process, it, you kind of hire the wrong people sometimes and they bring down the whole, the whole rest of your crew. Yeah. So you got to go you really slow and make sure you're ch- yeah, choosing the right person. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you can get it running on its own pretty smoothly, what other businesses would you be interested oh, in? Well, starting? the first one that I'm actually doing research now on is firewood, selling firewood. So it's kind of related to like pizza oven places in the city and barbecue places. I think that that would be a great business to get into. Yeah, totally. Anything else? Any other big ideas? Just real estate. I think that, you know, passive income is great. It would be nice to get a paycheck without killing myself for it. Where do you source your wood from? Lumber. Uh, we have a bunch of distributors and mills. A lot of the stuff that we buy, we don't buy directly from the mill. We buy from the distributor, but it comes from Canada. There are a lot of products from China now, South America. Yeah, there are a bunch of distributors. There. And you work closely with them? How do you how do you choose them? Or How do we choose the mm-hmm. distributors? You try to find people that are honest. You're only as good as your distributor, really. You know, so if my distributor says they're going to show up on Wednesday and they don't show up till Friday, I look like a jerk to the customer. So I really just try to find people that are honest. Are there many other companies like yours in the, in the city? In the Is city? there other competition? I think there are a few other places that cut lumber. There are definitely a lot of other lumber yards, much larger than we are, and where we really try to separate separate ourselves is with customer service and the cutting. Um, and I don't know that there's anybody in Manhattan that does it quite as well as we do. So you're not worried about the competition too much? Like it's just, it's, no. yeah. Do you know any of the other guys who work at the other businesses? Or? I do know a few guys. Yeah. And, you know, if, if there's a customer that I can't help, I'll send them to him. And if he can't, you know, we send people back and forth and it's That's a great. nice relationship. I'm not trying to sound overly confident, but if you keep your overhead low, you know, any business, the market's going to change and sales are going to go up and they're going to go down. But if you keep yourself at a comfortable position where you could sleep at night and your overhead's mm-hmm. low and you're not worried about paying your bills, it's more of how could I generate a little extra money to do something with? Can you explain for anyone listening who might not know what, what overhead is? Overhead, rent, uh, employee expenses, which are significant. You know, you're, you're talking about salaries. You're talking about social security tax, uh, workers' comp. There's a lot involved. Workers' comp is one of the worst things to deal with as a business owner because, like last year, for instance, I paid all of my bills um, for every single employee, every payroll period. Nobody got hurt, thank God. And then they come and say, oh, well, you know what? You owe us an extra $3,000. It just kind of feels like the mafia, you know? I did exactly what you asked me to do. Nobody got hurt. Nobody filed a claim. And now you want another three. That's coming from the workers or from? from the, no, that's from workers comp. The from, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, so, you know, and it seems more and more that our lives are just being run by insurance companies and the liability in each situation is dictating everything. most important thing is shopping your overhead, right? So in my calendar every year, I have a day where once a year I'll go over the auto insurance policy and I'll call and I'll get quotes from 10 people. And I don't do it every day because it would be impossible, but I just have it in the calendar and I break it down. So I do that. And then I'll shop workers comp. I'll shop payroll services. There's certain things I don't shop just because of the relationships I have, like my accountant, I'll never shop even if he's more expensive than somebody else because that relationship is worth it to me and the trust that I have. But other services that are kind of generic, it's, I think as a small business owner, you really have to shop. 
So as you're moving into potentially starting these other businesses, what lessons will you take from Midtown Lumber into those businesses? You need a lot more money than you thought you needed. So if you think you need $100,000, figure you need at least $175,000. If you anticipate that you're going to do $100,000 your first month, you're probably only going to do $40,000. Don't let, for me, like I can't let day-to-day sales dictate what's happening because then it just becomes too stressful because you could have a really slow day, but then, you know, at the end of the month, you could have three really great days that make up for it. So you kind of just have to remove yourself if you're a small business owner that works in the business every day from the day to day, even mm-hmm. though you're working in it, you can't look at it as, Oh my God, my sales are so low. I'm going to go, you know, chances are you got into this business because you know what you're doing and have some faith. Yeah. You think you'll, you'll bring your wife with you into your future businesses or do yeah. you think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't like doing the books. She's very good at it. So I would definitely have her do that. And marketing, she used to do marketing for coach. So she'll continue to do that. She knows her stuff. Yeah. Cool. Let's hope. Yeah. I'm putting a lot of faith in her. Yeah. Well, you've you've got your dogs to go back to at the end of the day. So everything will be fine. Yeah. So because Midtown Lumber started in 1962, does the original owner own the building? So Mike's father bought the building in, well, Here's the situation. He leased the building in 1962, but he got right of first refusal on it. So I believe in 1964, he bought the building for about $30,000. And now Mike still owns the building and I pay Mike rent. And that value has gone up significantly. How is it having Mike be your, your landlord? Your, you know, the, so the person who owned the business, it's his family business and you're um, still... I mean, I'd rather give money to somebody I like and know than somebody that I don't. It's still rent at the end of the day, and I yeah. wish it was less. Yeah. Um, but yeah. How does how does Mike feel about you potentially moving the business to Jersey City? I haven't talked with Mike about that yet. You know, and I would definitely give him fair warning. I wouldn't ever do something that made him that would hurt him personally. But I think that he'd understand. It's difficult, you know, between the parking tickets and everything else that goes on with running a business in Manhattan. It's they're making it very difficult unless you're a large corporation to operate a business in Manhattan. What are what are some of the hardest things about being a small business in Manhattan? Parking is really difficult. A lot of people that come to our store pick things up with vans and trucks and you know you're constantly having them watch their truck because a lot of times the ticket's gonna be $115 and that's just you know not a good situation. Doing deliveries in the city, the traffic's gotten really bad. Lyft and Uber drivers are insane. Driving around is difficult. So if you're based out of Jersey City and you still have customers in Manhattan, would you still, you'd still sort of be handling the traffic, We'd but still just be not, the, the traffic not the, the parking. Tickets, so, well, well, I guess you, it would be your own the, parking, but the, not your customers. Parking, it would, yeah, it would just really be eliminating a third of my overhead. Can you, can you talk briefly about how you manage back-end decisions and, and making not necessarily passive income, but back-end income, basically? Um, I don't really know enough to, to talk about it. I just think that the best decisions financially for myself have come from thinking outside the box versus thinking about how to get more sales. It's kind of, I, I like presenting people with options that are very far away, but you know will happen at some point. So with the severance, Mike never thought that he was going to have to pay me the severance because he just thought he was always going to be there. So mm-hmm. it was very easy to negotiate a high severance because it was something that wasn't, that he never thought was. So I would, I negotiated the severance versus negotiating a raise. And right. for him, it was like, oh, great. I don't have to pay him any more money now. I'm never going. And then when he did go, he's like, oh God, I have to pay him. So things like that. But I get a lot of advice from my uncle who owns a few businesses. I think if you were interviewing him about what kind of job I was doing, I don't know that he'd be very excited about how well I'm doing because there's always a list of things that I'm not. What, what kind of businesses does your uncle own? 
Oh, he owns a telemarketing company right now that's pretty significant in size. And he's starting a few other businesses. I'm not sure. Or he's starting another business, but I'm not sure what area he's going to go into. That's pretty different from, from your field. But it's all the same. I mean, any business is really the same, whether it's small or large scale. And I think in order to do well, the thing that you need to really focus on is treating every customer like they're your last customer. Thinking about that's the only sale you're going to make all day. Because obviously, if that's the only sale you're going to make, you're going to treat it a lot more differently than if you're thinking I'm going to make thousands. And, you know, Home Depot has people coming in and they're not thinking, oh, let me help this one person. So I'm trying to build a customer base off of customer satisfaction and helping everybody and treating them like they're the only one that matters. Do you think if your uncle were sitting where you are, he would say the same thing? Uh, He taught me that. There you go. How do you usually find your employees? Well, the, the way we've been doing it so far is that, you know, I'm, I, luckily I haven't been in a position where I need somebody immediately. It's kind of worked where I'm thinking about adding a person. So I'll just start mm-hmm. asking people I know. I have a ton of customers that are in construction, so it's a related field. So that's a good way for me to get employees. One of my employees now, his name is Alex, and he's great. He's 20 years old. He's an FIT student, and he works for me part-time, but he's just one of my favorite people to work with because of how excited he gets about everything and and how fun it is for him. So, you know, in in hiring people, my uncle did teach me this. You're not hiring for, you have to hire based on personality, not on what they know, because you could teach anybody how to do anything if they have the right personality, but you can't teach somebody to be a nice person. So you got to surround yourself with people that you want to be with every day and then teach them the things versus just trying to find somebody that can do the job. I don't think he's been wrong once since I've started this business. And that really <laughs> frustrates me. So so at the end of the day, do you prefer owning your own business to working under someone? I prefer that there's no ceiling on how much money I can make. That's definitely a plus. But if I could do the same work, making a lot of money and have somebody really smart thinking for me, telling me what to do, I'd prefer that because it's very difficult to think for yourself, you know, and come up with a decision. It's not so hard to come up with a decision, but it's, you know, when, when you're talking about money and leading your business in a direction, it's hard to have the confidence when you just started out. Am I making the right decision with this money? Should I, should I not do this? Should I do it? But if you have somebody above you who's like, do it, you don't think it, it takes all the stress out of it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Had, had you thought before about wanting to sort of raise your position in, in the company or, or? I always, I mean, me and Mike definitely had our differences over the years and we do things much differently and he would probably say the same, but it's much easier working for somebody than it is working for yourself. You know, at the end of the day, all of that debt is on them. It's not on you. And you don't think about it when you go home. I can honestly say that I don't work any harder now than I did when I worked for Mike. I put in the same effort, whether it was his or mine, but the stress definitely goes up significantly when it becomes yours. And it actually makes it more difficult to think with all that stress. I think I made better decisions working for him than I did for me. You were talking about that earlier where it can be, you get sort of tunnel vision and it's hard to get the perspective and- Yeah, because all you're worried about is, you know, making that overhead every month and paying your bills to get, you know, in the beginning at least, right? Because you start a business and you can't expect to be profitable from day one. But in that first period before you do become profitable or even before you get to your break-even point, it's completely stressful and you lose sight of the overall picture versus, you know, oh, I am building something. here. It's not just, I got to pay my bills this month. Right. And that's part of why it is important to hire really good help really good employees who can you can give that perspective and and give support outside of your and and you you gotta you gotta be fair to them and you gotta get them to want to stay because without your employees you're nothing 
I mean, I could go to work. Everybody could quit tomorrow. And if I go to work, I'm not getting everything done. But if I don't come to work tomorrow and they all show up, everything's getting done. So that says a lot about how valuable employees are to a business. When, when other people have, have written about you or when you're reading the reviews online, is there anything that you, anything about your business that you would love to see put out there that just hasn't really been said or part of your story that you want people to know? About our business? I mean, it, at the end of the day, we're, we're definitely not the cheapest, but we try to do the right thing every single time. And if, you know, there's a situation today where a customer got something delivered and they weren't, we didn't even deliver it. They had a messenger service come and pick it up and it wasn't what they wanted. I guess the messenger service banged it up or something. I redid the piece for the customer and we delivered in our van to make sure he got what, what he wanted. We didn't charge him anything else, even though it wasn't our fault. The piece was perfect when it left our store, everything, but he spent a lot of money on this piece and I would hate for him to have spent all this money on something and then not get anything. So we, yeah. you know, and, and the hope is that he'll remember that and he'll tell his friends that we did the right thing and, and that minor loss for us will grow into something much greater. And I think Anytime a mistake is made in a business, I think it's an amazing opportunity to turn it into something great, right? Because everybody makes mistakes, but what defines a person in the business is how you handle those mistakes. And if you take a bad situation and you just go over the top and do something really well, that can help your business so much more than saying, oh, I'm not going to help you and lose it, you know, and just keeping the $200. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for having me. My name is Ellie Cody, and this has been Manhattan Sideways. If you'd like to learn more about this particular business or to discover and read about thousands of other fascinating small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, please visit our website, sideways.nyc, and of course, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at NYSideways.